When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. New week on the call up here, and we are talking San Francisco Giants top prospects. We'll be breaking down that farm system as number two of the farm systems. We're going to try to go through all 30 this offseason. I'm Arm Waiten. He's Jack McMullen. Before we break down this Giants farm that has some, I would say, faces that we've become very used to, as well as some new faces that I'm excited to talk about. Jack, you want to talk about a new face in Chicago, the new manager at the helm. You promised me that this has some sort of prospect tie-in so Greg Council Cubs manager no longer the Brewers manager and the floor is yours Craig Council had a choice of where to go his contract expired with no extension with Milwaukee this was a very um unique courtship for Craig Council he went to a place that already had a manager, which was bizarre. And I didn't yeah. understand the whole like David Ross saga, but that's like a just baseball show conversation. Um, in, in terms of the prospect intrigue, Craig Council had his pick of the litter. There were teams that had vacancies. There were teams that didn't have a vacancy that apparently wanted the services of Craig Council. So what does this turn into? It turns into, yes, a money thing. And he's making eight mil a year for the next five years, which is crazy for Same. a manager. But it also turns into a situation thing. And what this just told me was Craig Council loves the situation that the Chicago Cubs find themselves in. Yes, because they have money to spend. Yes, because they have big league talent. But Marcus Stroman just opted out. Cody Bellinger just opted out. Yeah. He likes the farm. This is probably the best farm system and the brightest future of any team that was courting Craig Council. So what this told me was... Council took the future of the Cubs over the future of the Brewers, over the future of the Mets, and over several other teams. We have no idea how many were in on Craig Council. So I think the Cubs won this sweepstakes for a manager because of what they have built in the farm over the last couple of years. Yeah, and and I think the commitment to not be like the Brewers, right? And which is, you know, the Brewers do a lot of things well, but number one is... uh, 
not really retaining guys and and doing a lot of that, you know, raise type of baseball, which is sell at the peak and and try to do those things. But yeah, there's no reason for the Brewers to really operate that way completely. So I think the Cubs, he feels like it's a good spot, but great point there. Where you look at farm systems, the Mets were in consideration for him, some other teams, I'm sure as well. This is a team that seems like it's most built to be sustainably good uh, from a farm system perspective. We're going to break down you know, the Cubs farm, of course, as we break down all the others. But I'm with you. I think it's a, a spot for council long term deal to see, hey, we're going to have some long term success here, even with some of their key players opting out. Maybe they'll, they'll be able to retain them. But you look at the farm. I, I imagine that's something that council was paying attention to because he had to in his time in Milwaukee. And, and that's an important part of it, too. And that's the thing, man, like. Yes, this guy just got a five-year, forty million dollar contract. I, I say yes to that. If you know the worst team in baseball perennially is is offering me that with you know zero top one hundred prospects, but I, I think the deciding factor for this guy who's already made enough money for generational wealth and and was going to sign a big deal wherever he mm-hmm. was, you know, chances are like you know it wasn't. Hey, next best offer was twenty. Next best offer was probably really close to this. Especially My if the Mets were involved. Exactly. And they probably offered more. If council came to the table with the Mets and said, hey, I want you guys to get me, but the Cubs are offering me 40. Can you offer me more than that? I guarantee you Steve Cohen says yes. My thought is if this guy has options, he doesn't want to go to a team with a bad situation. Frankly, he wants to go to a team with the best situation. Yeah. And I think that Jed Hoyer, Carter Hawkins and Theo Epstein beforehand um, have done a great job making that a great situation. And so much of that is what's going on in Myrtle Beach, in South Bend, in Tennessee, and in Des Moines. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm with you on that one. And I think it's exciting to see what they're building over there in Chicago. Again, more on that as we get to that system eventually. But also, little sneaky trade, Blake Hunt from the Rays to the Mariners. Uh, I think this is actually a nice little get for the Mariners. Hunt improved in a lot of ways this past year catcher that was also involved in that Blake Snell deal way back and and that was originally a, a guy that was drafted by the Padres so uh, Hunt's bounced around a little bit uh, but I think this is a guy that made a lot of improvements offensively had an above average offensive season between double and triple can probably back up the, the catcher role could hit enough to potentially you know force his way into a starter's role we'll see but really handles the staff well good catcher and the Mariners gave up a 24-year-old low-A eighth-round pick uh, in exchange for him. So it seemed like a low-cost addition and another team kind of benefiting from the 40-man crunch. I'm looking forward to all of those 40-man discussions we're going to be having here and 40-man crunches and prospects that might get shipped out here. And teams have to kind of take 70 cents on the dollar because they might get nothing if they get selected in the Rule 5 draft other than 100000 bucks. And I think this is another one of those examples where – and the Rays probably aren't thrilled that they made this trade, but they had to get something and they get a younger catcher who they don't have to worry about adding to the 40-man roster for several more years. Whereas Hunt, they left unprotected last year. This year, if they left him unprotected, he probably would have been selected because he went from an 80 WRC plus in AA last year to a 106 between double and triple. A lot of good underlying metrics. And again, the defense has always been there. Yeah, uh, the Mariners got their backup catcher of the future behind yeah. Cal Raleigh. And like I, I say that in a way where you could laugh, but I don't mean it in that way because a backup catcher is a valuable piece on a baseball team. Yeah. And those guys play relatively often. Like Cal Raleigh, if Cal Raleigh's healthy all year, he's playing, what, 140 games? Nah, yeah, you're catching 130, right? So yeah. you got 32 games that you need someone really serviceable back there. And Tom Murphy's been good at being serviceable, but – 
you know, you can you can start the service clock over and, and save a couple bucks on Blake Hunt, who probably has a higher ceiling than Tom. Yep. No doubt. No doubt. And that's why I think even if you have a stretch where you got to throw him in there for a couple consecutive games, rally gets banged up. He can hold it down. So good get for the Mariners there and Jerry Depoto, who just loves to just make a bunch of moves all the time. Of course, uh, he's one of the first guys to really get the ball rolling here in this offseason. Let's get the ball rolling here on the San Francisco Giants farm system, where, again, the link is in the episode description. If you want to follow along there, if you're listening on audio, if you're watching on YouTube, you know, we've got it up on the screen here. So as always, we start with the names to watch. And just real quick, I I texted you about this. Every farm system, I try to identify a trend. And and usually the the teams that are, you know, pretty good at – I would say research and, and development and just player development in general, they have some themes and they have some, some ideologies that they stick to. And we talked yeah. about the, the Padres having those patient hitters with advanced swings uh, and generally low chase rates. The Giants philosophy that I've seen offensively, it's kind of all over the place. I don't think there's a specific philosophy there, but with pitchers, the one thing that stands out to me, and, and again, some are going to be more nuanced than others. The Giants, they just love tall pitchers, man. They love tall arms, which is interesting because I actually think from an analytic perspective, uh, there's a lot of reasons that we've trended away from that. Not saying that it's bad to be tall, but there's there's definitely advantages to low release point pitchers and and guys like that. And ironically, some of their best pitchers are lower release point guys, but so many of their middle ranked guys, so many of their 45, 50 future value arms are like 6'4", 6'6", 6'3". It's really interesting to me. I don't know what that approach is. Uh, I don't know why they do it that way, but I, I, there's definitely a commonality there with a lot of tall pitchers that we're going to talk about through this uh, top prospect. The other one is two-way players. Uh, the yeah. Giants love two-way players, not because I think they desperately want someone to be able to do both. I think they like players who are capable of doing both and then even having them focus in on one and seeing how they blossom that way. Casey Schmidt was a guy that was a two-way player that they scrapped it immediately, but I think they liked that about him. We're going to talk about Crawford and we're going to talk about Eldridge. They clearly like those types of players. And I still think they sign Otani. I, I know that he's not one of like the odds on favorites, but I, I stand by it. I think I said it for the first time in April or May. And I, I do think that the San Francisco Giants my pick too. sign Otani. Uh, the land is Sean Jelly, right? Sean Jelly was a second round <laughs> pick by San Francisco, 6'11 out of UK in, in 2018. So uh, the team that drafts Sean Jelly likes tall pitchers. I'm stunned. Yeah. I like that takeaway, though. That's kind of quirky and it's fun. Weird. I will point it out on every pitcher that's over six foot two. <laughs> cool. uh, and and there's, there's several. But names to watch, I'll fly through them. Jack, you chime in on anyone you care to add anything about. Does that sound yeah. good? All Perfect. Right. Jairo Pomares, outfielder, pretty much the entire year was wiped away for him last year. I still have him as a name to watch because I think anybody that's capable of Producing 106 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity that hits the ball in the air as much as he does from the left side of the plate is worth monitoring. And again, he barely played this year because of injuries, but really only played a couple games at the complex. But we've seen flashes of really exciting power. He's got some whiff concerns, but that's a guy that I definitely you know, still have my eyes on going into next year and probably one more year of monitoring and, and seeing how it goes. Uh, but definitely some offensive potential there. Tyler Fitzgerald. He had a really nice year outfielder between double and triple A. Uh, he's always come with some swing and miss, but 22 homers, 32 bags, plays all over. Uh, a guy that actually earned himself a big league cameo by the end of the season. So I probably shouldn't have outfielder there. I should have utility because he plays all over. Yeah. Diego Velasquez, middle infielder, finished the year at low A, 20 years old. 
uh, mostly complex low A, had a nice season across the board offensively at the complex. And you know, we'll, we'll kind of see what he turns into, but had a nice pro start, I would say, at the lower levels. I hope I say this one right. Adrian, is it Shagasti? Is that what you think it is? Or Sagasti? I have no idea, man. Adrian Shagasti will go with catcher high A. Stay. <laughs> stay. Signed for $525,000 out of Panama. Catcher that just has a really good feel to hit and a plus arm. Uh, the power has kind of been non-existent up until last year. This past year in 2023, there was a little bit more pop there. Finally slugged over 400. I yeah. think there's some intrigue here as a guy that has a good feel to hit and could be a solid defensive catcher as he develops. Carson Seymour, a pretty tall you know, pitcher that throws a lot of breaking balls. I don't really know where, where he fits in. I mean, the, the numbers have been solid, but nothing really jumps off the page. 24 years old, ERA just under four in 112 and two-thirds innings uh, in A this past season. Doesn't walk a lot of guys, fills up the zone, but it's a heavy sinker and, and curveball usage. Von Brown was a popular name. A lot of people were very excited about him after what he did as a – you know, older player at the lower levels last year in 20 or two years ago in 2022, uh, but really did not follow that up at all uh, after hitting 23 home runs and stealing 44 bags and uh, putting a, up a ridiculous slash line. It just, he was banged up this past year, better competition was, was tough for him and a lot of whiff. Uh, so definitely a guy that is kind of trending out of the spotlight, but if he bounces back, you'll pay attention. And then last but not least of the names to watch Maui Ahuna recently drafted, uh, what was it out of Tennessee? He, he, he has some intrigue. I think the underlying metrics really hurt him in college. There was a lot of whiff. His, his season was not fantastic after what was an unbelievable year as a sophomore, but yeah. there's some upside here at shortstop. There's some intrigue and uh, the giants were able to snag him in the fourth round. He was probably one of those surprising followers as I did some digging into the underlying metrics, kind of understand why he slipped a little bit, but still a good get for them in the fourth round. Yeah, the two guys that I want to highlight here are Fitzgerald and Maui Ohuna. Ohuna was considered top 10 caliber after his sophomore year at Kansas, and then he hit the portal. If he stayed at Kansas, and yeah, he wasn't going to replicate what he did his sophomore year. He hit 396, and he OPSed, I think, right around 1,100 his sophomore year. If he did that again, that's a first-round pick. That's a top 10 overall pick because he's a good defensive shortstop. Um, the whiff was there. He's kind of got that Neto type leg kick where it's huge and the big knee kick and and that it's not a red flag but it it worries me with it guys is if you whiff if you whiff and Neto yeah. doesn't but Ahuna does so yeah. that is that turns it into a red flag but this guy's a good defensive shortstop and his down year was hitting 312 in the SEC I'm willing to bet that that guy's going to figure out a way to hit 270 in high A next year um, yeah. Fitzgerald. I got looks at him in high school. He's our age uh, in high school, in college at Louisville on the Cape and in the <laughs> minor leagues. And this guy, much like Will Brennan, I'm like, every time I walk away, I'm like, that's a really good baseball player. And, and Fitzgerald, he doesn't have the prospect pedigree because, you know, he doesn't have a 70 tool. He doesn't have a 60 tool. He's yeah. probably fifties across the board, but he's smooth and he's a strong ball player. Um, yeah. He saw I think it was nine games in center for the Giants and three games at short. For the most part, he played short, and he's a smooth shortstop in the minor league. So, yeah, he, he's going to figure out a way to, to stick on this roster for a little bit longer than I think many would expect. Yeah, and if not, he will get claimed very quickly because of the versatility, because of the athleticism, and 
you know, it, it comes down to the hit tool, but even then a bench piece with power and speed and the ability to play multiple spots, like you said, who's smooth. Those guys will always get a lot of opportunities. Yeah. So we'll jump right into the top 15 and number 15 is an arm that honestly wasn't really on my radar too much going into this. And the more I watched, the more I dug in, the more I liked Trevor McDonald, right-handed pitcher uh, who finished the year in high a got a late start to the season because he was banged up, but McDonald was an 11th rounder in 2019, and he was one of the more exciting prep arms in that class to get signed. I think he was one of those guys that I think was always a little bit more signable out of high school than others. He's committed to South Alabama, and the Giants shelled out 800K to get him, you know, and, and, and have him forego, forego that commitment. And he pitched mostly at the complex his first year. The next year, he was really good uh, at the lower levels. And then this past year, had a late start, but in 34 and two-thirds innings, pitched to a 0.78 ERA and looked really, really, really good. Uh, heavy fastball. It's a sinker, really, that that just gets a ton of ground balls. A curveball that has great two-plane break. Uh, and, and the interesting thing, it's like a sweeping curveball uh, that he doesn't locate as consistently as he should, but he definitely – has a pretty good feel overall for it when it's going right. And then a changeup that flashed at least average and I think has a little bit more in the tank there. It's a good three-pitch mix. He gets a lot of ground balls. I got to update the command. That was a mistake right there. He actually has good command. Um, it's just a weird delivery, a short-arm delivery that I do think could be conducive to some reliever risk. And we saw him deal with a little bit of a, an injury this past season. But McDonald, I think, looks like a big league arm in some capacity and and – I think is a, a pretty underrated, if not one of the most underrated prospects in the system. I like that. Um, and I, I like that his curveball, that sweeping curveball that you mentioned, is low 80s. It's not like a mid-70s curveball, so he's going to this you know, fastball in the low to mid-90s, the sinker in the low to mid-90s, and then he, he goes to this curveball that has 20 miles an hour worth of separation. Um, it's you know hard and a hard breaker, too. And that, at the very least, that two-pitch mix is – hey, we need some ground balls over two innings out of the bullpen. And, you know, those guys are top 15 in systems that, you know, aren't as deep as the best in baseball. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think high probability reliever um, in terms of just he can get outs with ground ball and with, with a, a pitch that already flashes plus. But I think this guy can give you multi innings and, and you know, kind of be an, an innings eater in some way and, and a plug in type of arm. So definitely an underrated piece that could find his way into the big league some point next year. Next up is a left-hander who was just selected in the second round of this past draft. Joe Whitman, 6'4", by the way. Yeah, a measly 6'2 from McDonald. But Joe Whitman stands at 6'4". Out of Kent State, barely pitched his first two years at Purdue and then had a ridiculous year at Kent State and followed that up ahead of the draft with one start on the Cape where he was dominant for the Katuit Kettleers, and I think that really – Helped his draft stock a little bit. Even that one start cameo, five innings, he punched out nine, and the stuff looked great. And that was enough to get snagged in the back end of day one there. It's a fastball that's probably big league average, but a slider that another two-plane break slider, that might be another trend here. It's like that sweepy, you know, slurvy type of pitch that can just be devastating. It, it was a big whiff pitch for him in college. And then even in the early going of, of his professional career, we got a little cameo. It was good there, too. Changeup is below average, has flashed potentially average, but could be a solid three-pitch mix, 6'4", lefty, three-quarter release point, fills up the zone, 
seems like a high probability back end of the rotation starter, but there's a little of bit of effort in the delivery. Yeah, so I called his penultimate, I think, second to last college start. Um, oh. They were in Muncie. And really what I came away with was how mechanically in tune this guy is for 6'4". He's a very good athlete. He's built like a really good athlete. And from the left side, that consistent of a delivery and that clean of a delivery, it was shades of Quintana, the way that it's simple and the shoulder comes closed quick. There, there were a lot of great things about Whitman. And consistency is key for a guy like this, especially yeah. when you don't have any pitch that really jumps off the page. Um, if he's a two-pitch guy, you, you start to worry a little bit. But based on how clean those mechanics are, it feels like he can add a third pitch because that's really yeah. the only thing he has to worry about. 100%. The fastball is good enough. Uh, you know, in the in the low to mid, mostly sits 92, 93, but he grabbed a couple fives and sixes. But that three-quarter release point should be a fine pitch. Uh, it's it's really about the development of the changeup. And to your point, I, I think with his field of pitch, the, how much he's cleaned up his delivery since his time at Purdue and, uh, and, and what we've seen more recently, I think there's a good chance he can find that changeup. And even if it's average, that's pretty much all he needs to be a back end of the rotation starter. But that slider is good enough with the fastball that would tick up to be a good left-handed setup man, you know, if, if that's the fallback plan. So I feel like the Giants at least believe that they got a big league arm in some capacity here in, in you know the second round, late in the second round uh, in the 2023 draft in Whitman. Moving on to another starter. Guess what? He's 6'4". Hayden Birdsong, right-handed pitcher, finished the year in A, third round pick in 2021. Another guy who probably was was pretty under the radar, to be honest, out of college. And, you know, what's interesting is I, I like the Giants' approach of, you know, they're not really always chasing statistics. They're not chasing, uh, I think, performance. They're chasing data and, and certain thresholds that they like in arms because Birdsong was a reliever for Eastern Illinois, right? Mm -hmm. Like he, predominantly a reliever. But they saw potential here with a guy that, continue to get better and better. And I think they maybe felt like that they could get a little bit more out of this guy here. And I mean, there's a lot to like fastball. It, it's a high release point, but he gets 20 to 21 inches of induced vertical break at, you know, the low to mid nineties, mostly mid 94 to 96. Uh, you got a slider with great sweep across a zone that flashes plus a curveball That's very inconsistent in terms of command, but flashes above average. And then a changeup that's far off. The command is, is below average at this point, but you have a potential for three above average pitches uh, from you know a pretty smooth 6-4 delivery, a guy that barely has had much experience starting, had some really good stretches this year uh, professionally. I think this is a pretty good and intriguing pitching prospect that needs to make some strides with the command to fend off the bullpen. But you can dream on a really solid three-pitch mix and potentially you know a changeup to give him a fourth to mix in here. Yeah. Um, Hayden Birdsong kind of dealing with the Jackson Holiday thing uh, where he's the number one prospect in baseball. No, where <laughs> facially he looks 15. Yeah. Um, but he's way bigger than you would expect. Like Jackson Holiday, you watch this guy play, you get the close up on his face or you see the headshot. And it's like he's 12 years old. And then you see the arms and you see just the way he fills out a uniform at the AAA level and he looks the part. So it's like, wow, you know, it's just facially. Birdsong, you see the headshot and it's like, is he 14? Yeah. But then you see him and, and it's a big 6'4", 220, and it's you know a long 6'4", 222. So uh, don't be deceived by the headshots, folks. <laughs> he is 
unique and, and that delivery is a little whippy, which is kind of fun from a big guy. Because typically you see it from the guys that are like too long for their own good. Yeah. No, and and I think that's part of the reason why it just kind of spins the ball well. It just it just jumps out of his hand. And to get that kind of carry on the fastball is really encouraging. And it was a pitch that he got 30% chase rate on through the season. So you know, from that release point, it's really hard for guys to lay off that at the top of the zone. And it, and it gets a lot of whiff at the top of the zone. And he filled up the zone to near 70% clip with the fastball this year. The question is, how good is the secondary command going to be? Because the slider, the curveball, and the changeup, it was a, a strike rate below 60%. It's going to need to up that a little bit to, of course, be able to you know, fend off the bullpen risk. But just turned 22 years old, has barely had much experience as a starter, even going back to his amateur days. So uh, I, I think this is a dude that could blossom into a solid back end of the rotation starter. But if he moves to the bullpen, in short spurts, he could be closer to 95-97 with that slider really playing up as well. So uh, another arm that I feel like the Giants, they want arms that they feel like in some capacity will be big leaguers. Really, They probably feel as though there's risk with any pitcher. So why not take the guys that if it doesn't work out as a starter, you feel really good about their chances as a reliever. And I feel like that's the case with most of their arms. I just feel like that's going to be the one recurring thing we kind of say here is like, oh, this guy could fall back on the bullpen. Which is kind of interesting because you don't really think 6'4", 220, yeah, reliever. Um, You know, obviously, it's kind of hard to decipher because these guys are showing multiple pitches and all that. But Birdsong, if he scraps the curveball, scraps the changeup, and, you know, scraps the windup entirely, you could probably see reliever, that kind of thing. I don't know. Tall pitchers and relief pitchers just don't really go hand in hand for me. I typically think short, stocky guys yeah. make the flamethrowers in one inning spurts. And I think that's why they feel like Birdsong could probably have a pretty good chance at sticking as as a starter as you know he hopefully cleans up that delivery and finds a little bit more consistency there. But I, I was a big fan of the slider. Uh and I think that was a pitch that he got some really gnarly swings on. And it's 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 a little bit more of the the vertical break. And again that seems to be the the trend. They're not all in on the the pure sweeper. They went a little bit closer to the two plane break, but it was nasty to lefties and righties, which negates some of the importance and necessity, I think, of the changeup. Yeah. Another arm that impressed me, and again, if he's healthy, I think could be a really good piece for them this coming season. Guess what? He's also 6'4". Landon Raup, is that right? Is it Raup? I think so. Raup, I think Raup. Raup or Raup? It might be Rupp. Let's go with I'm going to go with Rupp. Rupp's easier to say. Yeah. Landon Rupp, right-hander, banged up. We didn't get a lot of information on the injury, but 25 years old, 12th round pick in 2021, and we only saw 10 starts. Again, injury was undisclosed, but he only allowed six earned runs, punched out 42, and walked nine in 31 innings. Since being drafted from UNC Wilmington in 2021, Rupp slogged a 240 ERA in 141 or 146 in a third's innings. This is a plus plus breaking ball. By the way, it is disgusting. Fastball is pretty good from a low release point. But the breaking ball is where I think he's going to ride that thing to the big leagues one way or another. And I see a swing man type here in a good way. He can turn a lineup over maybe once, uh, but he could also pitch high leverage. Uh, And I think he's the closest of any of these guys that we've just talked about to being ready to do so, assuming that the injuries know nothing extreme. Uh, He threw his curveball as much as anybody. (laughs) Actually, he threw it more than his fastball. And I believe Baseball America had something on him potentially throwing his curveball more than anybody in the minor leagues period uh, in terms wow. of, of starters, but 45% usage 
of the curveball still held opponents to a batting average of 130. It's a 3,000 RPM curveball that he landed for a strike 70% of the time. To have that much break, use it that frequently, and land it for a strike that frequently. And that guy has as, as much confidence, I think more confidence in that pitch than his fastball. Um, then I'm working off of that as a fastball with good arm side run. Uh, it definitely bores in from a low release point on right-handed hitters. Generally, I like my sinkers you know, to be coming from a higher release point, so it's interesting I think the lower release point he was trying with a four seamer just didn't have the shape from there. So now rolling with the two seamer sinker type and it's worked a lot better for him. The problem is lefties, they, they hit it a little bit better. Um, and that's the challenge splits wise. And I think that's part of the reason why he may have, I think the ultimate home being the bullpen, but yeah. just demolishes righties with the fastball running in on their hands. And then this just disgusting plus plus breaking ball. And I think he's a guy again, that can mow through righties and maybe mow through a lineup one through nine, uh, and then turn it over. Curveball can be his party trick. He can he can throw two inning spurts and he can just spin off breaking ball after breaking ball. Seventy percent strike rate and a one thirty batting average against those never rhyme. Like if you know that a pitch is going to be in the strikes on that often, chances are guys are going to hit two hundred against it because they're pro yeah. hitters. So that means it has to be really special. Um, yeah. Also, ripping off a three thousand RPM curveball as often as he did. Uh, undisclosed injury, I'm I'm sure. Like that sounds yeah. like a recipe for not health. Yeah, and, and that's why I do wonder if they ultimately, with that heavy curveball usage and, and just how much torque he generates on that, if it just makes sense to have him coming out of the pen and in, in multi inning relief. Um, He's also and, 25 and hasn't thrown an inning in AAA, so yeah. like it might just be, hey, ride your curveball to the big leagues. And, and he's ranked ahead of these other guys because, again, above, above average command. And that curveball is the best individual pitch of any of those players we just talked about. And arguably, until we get to Kyle Harrison, really, and I, I think you can make the case that it's the best pitch in the system outside of Kyle Harrison, I, unless I'm missing somebody off off the top of my head. It's right there with you know Reggie Crawford's breaking ball and, and some others. So, I mean, that's that's what you're looking for outside of the top ten is, is just one pitch that can get big league outs and – that curveball can get big league outs against anybody. Yeah. Number 11, finally a hitter. And this was somebody that I think a lot of people were hoping would have a little bit more of a breakout this year. I think some were very high on him. Uh, but Averson Arteaga, shortstop in high A, is always where he finished the year, pretty much spent the whole year there. Million-dollar international free agent in 2019. Arteaga's – I think a really fun player still. And I know it wasn't the year that a lot of people were hoping. I know the hit tool is probably fringy, but first of all, phenomenal defender at shortstop. And that, and that's really important on the left side of the infield. Like he's going to stay there and he's going to be valuable there. Uh, and, and really I think he's the best defensive infielder now in the system and can provide plus defense at short. The bat, he made some changes at the end of the season that I actually like quieted some things down. His hands were really active pre-swing. He started inverted on his toe, like almost pigeon-toed in with a toe tap. And just seemed like a bunch of moves that were hard to, to sync up. He's very aggressive, but does at least surprise with above average field to hit, 85% zone contact, power that I think you know is, is average, but he can get into, uh, 103 mile per hour, 90th percentile. The numbers did drop if you look at WRC+, plus or if you look at you know OPS, but a lot of the underlying metrics point towards him improving some of those things that you know were concerns previously. And even if he's an average hitter, 
I think he could be a big league regular. The question is, can he even become an average hitter? And that's what's kind of holding him out of the, the top 10. Because right now he projects more like a solid utility piece. But if he can produce even average offense, he's probably an everyday player. Yeah, he is. I, I was going to say, this is where the 50s across the board start to kind of slide in in the 10-11 range. But slightly below that in the hit tool, but above that in the field tool, like well yeah. above that in the field tool. So, um, yeah, like it would be nice if you had more than a defensive specialist slash third middle infielder in this guy. And it, it's not the power. It's just keeping strikeouts in check because, you know, the power can come down the lines at at uh, Oracle, Oracle Park, yeah. not AT&T field, Oracle, Oracle Park. Oracle. I always want to say AT&T. And, and, and then also just super aggressive, 35% chase. That was a big problem for him. That's something that you can rein in and, and pretty immediately improve your offensive profile. The contact rates were solid. He made massive gains, 6% jump in zone contact. If you can walk a little bit more, take some pressure off the bat a bit. He's going to sneak in his 15 homers, 10 to 15 homers at least. He's going to play elite defense. He's going to put the ball in play at least at an average clip. Just cut down on the chase, and I think his overall outlook looks a lot better. So you have, I think, a high probability big leaguer here, though, which is important when you're looking at 11 in your top prospect list. And you know, I think that's kind of what we're, we're you talk about the 50s across the board. We're in the high probability big leaguer range because that leads me right into Wade Meckler, who already was a big leaguer last year. And Meckler was, was a surprise in a lot of ways and, and a tough guy to rank because – I mean, he performed so well in the minor leagues, and I don't want to use his his big league cameo against him. It was honestly very surprising that he even got the opportunity to play in the big leagues this year, given that he was a what an eighth round pick in 2022. Um, but Meckler just tore through minor league competition, and this was a team that needed some help in the outfield and identified Meckler as someone that might be able to come up and you know just tread water. I think that's all they were looking for, right? Was play good defense and just give us something close to league average offense. He punched out way too much and he was just simply overmatched, but that's to be expected of a guy that had barely played in the minor leagues prior. He played less than a hundred minor league games before his call up. The thing with Meckler is plus, plus bat, no doubt about it, but what else are you getting? I mean, what I will say is like, it may be too early to judge, but 106 minor league games. He played 23 and 22, and then he played 83 this past year. 106 games. He's slashing 370, 465, 517. So he passed at every level with flying colors. And this year, 20 games in high A, hit 456. He had 36 hits in 20 games. Okay, he goes to double A. 39 games, he has 50 hits. He hits 336. Then he plays 24 games in triple A. And has 29 hits in 24 games, it's 354. Like, he never had a bad stop. Um, no. But did it feel early to push this guy to the big leagues? Yes. He, yeah. If he's hitting 356 for 20 more games in AAA, we're like, why didn't they call Wade Meckler up? So it was this weird tweener spot where he was performing too well to keep him in high A or double A for the entirety of the year. And, and now he's on the 40-man and – you know that, that they just lost one spot there, but yeah, I think and it's not a hands are tied thing, but like it kind of is a hands are tied thing. Yeah, because you know they didn't need to to do that for several years, but three more years. Yeah, the point is that they probably figured he's going to be involved with the big league team in some capacity next year, especially with a couple spots potentially opening up. I did see that uh, they had Conforto opt in, uh, but 
you know, there, there's definitely going to be some room for a fourth outfielder or someone to fill in around, you know, the entire all three spots, which Mekor can play. He plays good defense at all three spots. And the, the, the reason why Mekor isn't ranked higher based on the offensive output is that there's some concern around the underlying metrics, not in terms of he's not as good of a bat to ball guy as, as he showed. He is. He's, he's a plus hitter easily. But a max exit velocity of 103, and that's across all levels, it's really hard to succeed that way. I've talked about it. Like That's basically the lowest max exit velocity of, of any big leaguer. Um, the only player that is in that range, really, that has, has had success is Luis Arias. And you know that's a different level of bat to ball. So if pretty much the the line I draw at max exit velocity to be able to have success, and I know there's more to the game than exit velocities, but there's a pretty clear line that you can draw, and there's no, there's almost no outliers of players that have succeeded with a max exit velocity below this. Anyone that's below 104 is really going to struggle to succeed. You, your only outlier is really Luis Arias. Like even a Stephen Kwan is going to pop a 105, 106, you know, 107 maybe even. Uh, from time to time. So so that's the question here. Can he tap into even a tick more of juice? That would be huge. But he does hedge that with an elite approach, doesn't expand at all, walks a ton, great bat-to-ball skills, plays all three outfield spots. I think was really undersold on the running grades. I mean, if you look at fan graphs, I think they had like a 50 on his speed. This guy was 90th, 95th percentile sprint speed. He was almost 30 feet per second. He flies, and I think that really helps the overall profile. I think stolen bases can be more a part of his game, and he can steal some hits you know, just by chopping them into the ground and stuff like that. So I do think that there's a path to an everyday player here, but there's a lot of pressure on the hit tool. Like It's got to be every bit of plus and then, and then some, or he's got to tick up and, and see the average exit velocity jump from you know the basement of what would be the major leagues. Yeah, so the guy that I immediately went to, because – Arise and Quan are the two that jump to mind when you think, all right, low max, low average, all that, but but yet they still hit for a high batting average. Uh, Mauricio Dubon was the guy that kind of jumped to me because the hit tool carries Dubon, and Dubon supplies a ton of value defensively, and he can swipe some bags. Um, his max the past couple years has been 107. If he just gets it up two ticks, you feel like he can be a Mauricio Dubon type, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even a Whit Merrifield at, at, at this stage is an example of that. He used to hit the ball harder, but his max this past year was 106. I think Dubon's a great pull, and I think that's a great example as well. Um, but yeah, you, you got to be a little bit higher. Even Luis Arias popped a 104 this past season. He's had successful seasons in the past, maxing at 103. But I think something like a Dubon type is, is a great player to look at. And yeah. I, I and that's, that's someone that has a job in the big leagues. Yeah. And, and, uh, and is pretty good at it. You know, he yeah. provides plenty of value. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M 
Noom.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Next up is probably one of the hardest players to rank, but I did get to see a lot of him. And, and by the way, we are going to be talking a lot about the Arizona Fall League. Um, yeah. I have a whole week and change of takeaways, video, interviews coming up now that we have set up that I think people are really going to enjoy. But uh, very excited to talk about my takeaways out there. This is kind of a segue into it because I have a lot of Reggie Crawford takeaways. Didn't get to watch him pitch, but I've seen video on him throwing. I mean, that's what I got to see more of throughout the season. Got to see him hit a fair amount. Crawford, first round pick, 30th overall, 2022 out of UConn. He was a bit of an enigma going into the draft because of the Tommy John. Didn't get to really see him do the, the full-fledged two-way thing, but we got to see him run a fastball in the upper 90s for it with triple digits. And we've also seen flashes of him you know, hitting balls 110 plus miles an hour. So you can dream on that, right? You get really excited about what that could be and, and the potential both ways or one way individually. The problem is, I don't know if he's going to hit enough. And that's why with these two-way player grades and, and the, even just creating the double charts is kind of weird. For those that are listening, you know, the hit tool is a 30 for me after what I saw, and I'll get into that. But the power is immense. Easy plus raw power. He's very comfortable defensively at first as well. But watching him pitch, it's like, okay, you see a 70 fastball. You see a plus curveball. And a guy that could, again, 6'4", by the way, built like a brick house, like 240 pounds. A guy that you can see 100% at the worst being a high leverage lefty reliever and with a chance to potentially be a starter if he cleans up you know, the mechanics and, and just is able to fill up the zone a bit more. I just don't know how much longer they're going to do this two-way thing, to be honest. I saw some flashes of a, of a good bat, but there's volatility in Reggie Crawford, the hitter. There's volatility in Reggie Crawford, the pitcher. And then there's the volatility that comes with attempting to be a two-way player in general. And that's what's it. We're going to talk about Bryce Eldridge. I think there's, there's volatility in Bryce Eldridge, the hitter. Not as much volatility in Bryce Eldridge, the pitcher. He's actually a high floor arm, relatively speaking. Yeah. That's where I'm kind of stuck here, man. He's tough to rank. He's tough to really project because – I do think there's a very, very real scenario where, you know, given how he kind of performed or didn't perform offensively in the fall league, I do wonder how much more, you know, leeway they give him here, how much more opportunity they give him as a hitter, given his upside on the mound. I'm curious because he, he clearly didn't perform well offensively in the fall league. He had 19 plate appearances during the regular season in the minor leagues. He had four hits, but two doubles and a homer. So the power was obviously there. He didn't hit often, and he was so ridiculously protected. I think it was 19 innings across 13 starts. Yeah. He was striking out 16 guys per nine, so shout out that. But um, I don't know, man. Like He's bizarre because 6'4", 235, I almost don't believe it. He looks like Gronk. Yeah. You no, think he, he's, if you saw him in person, you believe it. That was one of the most like, holy crap, guys I've seen in a while. I would think bigger. Like I would think six, seven, oh. two fifty. Like that's yeah. kind of what I think when I see the photos of Reggie Crawford and the video of Reggie Crawford. Um, but man, if his if his future is likely on the hill, when he's pitching, he looks like your your cleanup hitting DH took the ball and is throwing now. He doesn't yeah. look like a pitcher. So they. I don't think it's a tough thing because you cannot look like a pitcher and still be a really good pitcher. Um, I'm just curious how you can use the power if the hit duel doesn't progress. And yeah, you can't like it's, it's impossible. 
And that's kind of my thing. And that's where I'm at. And we'll see how much more opportunity gets, but just from, from a breakdown standpoint, and I'll, I'll be doing some more specific breakdowns on, on the players I saw out there, AFL takeaways. We'll do some, some specific videos on that. Also some YouTube breakdown. So that, that might not air as, as, uh, episodes. So be sure to subscribe to the call up YouTube to see some of the video that we got open side and you know high res, really cool stuff that I'm excited to do some like nerdy swing breakdowns and mechanical breakdowns. But Crawford, his moves in the box aren't bad. Like it, yeah. it, I, I don't think that there's any extraneous movement. I don't think that there's anything that looks bad necessarily. The problem is he's stiff and he's long. And when he's when you're that stiff and long, it's hard to be adjustable in the box. And that's the problem. I mean, he's kind of got one swing for one spot. And when it's there, he hits it really hard. But there's not much adjustability there. And I think that that little bit of, of stiffness results in him taking a little bit longer to go from launch to contact, making decisions a little bit earlier. So he's expansive, 40% chase rate between the fall league and the limited at-bats we saw this past year. And then a lot of in-zone whiff. And when he's making contact, it's often the other way because he's catching it so deep. So I just feel like he's rushed and the ball gets in on him a little bit. On the mound, though, electric. Like electric stuff. 70 fastball that really plays up from a low release and a diabolical curveball when he commands it. I mean, this guy could be a really impactful arm. So we'll see how they handle him. I think they've got a big league arm in some capacity here. If the command improves, I think there's middle rotation upside. But – you got a high leverage reliever at the very least here in Crawford and just too athletic and too talented to not be excited about, but hard to rank him higher. If we're trying to project, you know, median outcome MLB war, it's, it's, I just, I like the other eight guys more. Yeah. And it would be way easier if we had a larger sample than we do. Like there's so much unknown and he's played a little bit in a, bunch of different years like from 2019 until 2023 he's played either hit or thrown in all of those years pretty much Um, but there was so much unknown about him on on draft day and we really haven't learned much at all in professional baseball i'd say the only thing that i've really learned is that the arm is as advertised and the bat may not may not be as as good as we had hoped and and that's kind of where we're at which which is okay it was the 30th overall pick and that's still a left-handed arm that you could justify taking 30th overall alone yeah just edging him out was grant mccray and i was not really prepared to do that but you know mccray's been a name that we followed we've talked about but it wasn't quite the season i think somewhere hoping he'd really break out you know and 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 make this huge leap this year kind of like artiaga but but didn't quite but he still had a really solid season overall and and i thought handled high a uh, as somebody that is a little bit more raw and and definitely toolsy and fun third round pick in 2019 out of Billings, Montana. If if I got that right. Yeah. But his father played in the big leagues and has the bloodlines. He went to high school in Bradenton, but born in Billings. Did he go to IMG? Uh, No, he went to Lakewood ranch high school. That's wild. Then just, just, just coincidentally went to school in, in uh, Bradenton, but not IMG. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. Went to, uh, Went to this high school, oh, Lakewood Ranch yeah. High School. Good athletic outfielders. But McCray, I mean, they, they get him in the third round, and he came out swinging. Like, he had a really, really nice start to his professional career. There were some questions about the hit tool. I think there still are. But I thought he did some things to kind of improve in that department this year in terms of just being able to handle a tougher assignment uh, and, and just continue his 
I think progression upwards. Again, he didn't really do anything that jumped off the page other than stealing bases, which we'll get into. That actually gets me excited. But I thought it was encouraging to see him just produce at an above average level at the high A level because we we saw him in 2022 put put up a 130 WRC plus in low A. But you know that high school guy, low A, kind of a second taste there. I, I was curious to see how he could hedge the whiff in, in high A. He matched the strikeout rate, raised the walk rate, and a lot of the underlying metrics looked better. Uh, did he hit for as much power? Not quite, but still hit 14 home runs and still 52 bags, which is what really stands out. I like McCray. I, I think if he can find a way to even be fringy with the hit tool, you've got plus plus speed. He might be the best runner in this system. You've got great defense in center field, and that's what really put me over the top. I saw plus defense out there when you combine the above average arm too. So even with the hit tool being potentially even below average, you got above average power, you've got plus plus run, you've got great defense in center field. It feels like this guy is Trent Grisham-esque, which you're hoping for you're hoping he hits more. But if he doesn't, you've got that kind of player, which is still a good piece. Maybe a guy that you don't want playing all 162, but still a good piece. And I think there's room for more here with a pretty simple swing. Um, and I think the ability to be a better hitter, if he can improve his, his approach a little bit more and, and improve against uh, breaking balls. Yeah. So this is one of those, I, I think where the total number of punch outs looks more egregious than the K rate itself. And 29% K rate is, is not great by any stretch, but McCray was what? 171 punch outs. Yeah. 171, 127 games. Um, that was top 20 in all of minor league baseball this year. And there are a ton of guys that, you know, are, are like hole in their bat that are above him. Um, only guy with 200 punch outs in the minor leagues this year. Do you know who it was? Uh, Gerard Encarnacion. Bingo. 200 yeah. punch outs. Exactly. <laughs> um, but you, you had Cam Meisner above that. You had Austin Hendrick above that. Peyton Burdick above that. Moises Gomez. These are all power bats that just seem to have a hole in their bat. McCray, yeah. like he sh- one of these is not like the other. And yeah. and that one is Grant McCray because he offers a ton of other stuff. Meisner yeah. offers some other stuff too, but he's power reliant. McCray, not necessarily because he's got the, the speed and defense going for him. And and the difference is, you know, Meisner's able to hit the ball 112. So, you know, that's not going to be McCray. He does produce above average power, but McCray, to your point, is going to need to improve in the in the, the bat the ball department to to truly reach that ceiling. He did marginally improve in, in multiple spots with his swinging strike rate dropping by 2%, chase rate dropping by 3%. And if you look at his last 50 games of the season, got on base at a 392 clip and, and cut the strikeout rate a couple spots to, to 27%. So there's some marginal positive progression, you know, things there, but I just love the floor as a great defensive center fielder with elite speed who stole 52 bags and, you know, continues to inch towards, you know, a fringy hit tool, which will play with with at least average power. So yeah. McCray seems to be like that Trent Grisham type for for the Giants, which, you know, I think they actually could kind of use in this system for right sure. now and, and for this team. For sure. Number seven is a guy that really stood out to me in, in the data dive, video dive. And, and a guy I've seen all the way going back to the Cape and, and, and a couple of times this season just kind of tapped into his starts. Mason Black, right hander out of Lehigh. He was a third rounder in 2021. 
I don't think if you watch Black, you can really get a full idea of what his stuff looks like. I think you could almost talk to a hitter who faced him or or look at the you know, track man data. But when you do, it's it's fascinating because there's some unique aspects to his stuff. Uh, fastball plays up from a really tough release point. He stays closed long and his arm just whips around from this tough angle to pick up low release jumps out of the hand and he gets a ton of whiff at the top of the zone with the heater. Then off of that, a really solid slider with, with good sweep across the zone, a cutter that he mixes in and then a change up. That's, you know, a work in progress, but that fastball at 93 to 95 touching 97 from a release point of about five, three, you know, five foot three release point is is low and it, it just has this flat approach angle that gets on hitters quick and the whiff rates on that were just really really impressive opponents hit just 160 against this fastball this year and we're seeing guys like brian Wu succeed with that type of arsenal uh and we're and, and i think he's got the complimentary pitches to go with it that was in double a and the pcl where that fastball was you know uh, yielding a 160 opponent batting average He's kind of cut from the Spencer Strider template where he's got a really strong lower half and you see him drive like hell off that back leg. And, you know, cut from the cut from the cloth of, of Strider is not Strider. Like he's a very subdued version of Strider. But that fastball with the life from there and Strider's a low release point, too, if I'm not mistaken. Like, yeah, those are guys that really count on their lower half to get them the velo and, and get them kind of the the oomph towards the plate and that's exactly what mason black does it's a hard delivery to describe but just know that he needs to squat a lot to be a yeah. good pitcher and he clearly squats a lot i would say it's like a three-quarter slingshot almost and it's just the way he stays closed you can't see that ball until late and it whips out at you and especially if if you're a lefty i just feel like you, you don't know if it's running away from you or if it's breaking towards you because he has the four seamer that he likes to kind of buzz upwards, but then he has another one, you know, kind of more of a two seamer sinker that whole run in, uh, you know, against righties and then working off with the sweeper breaking towards guys. It's, it's impressive how he's able to back leg that because some sweepers don't work as well against lefties. His does because it just whips around. Um, and then that cutter again, is it was a useful weapon for him to change up, mixed it in a couple times to start, but the effectiveness of the fastball, the variations, having the, the, the heavier one and then the you know higher carry one and then the cutter as well. I think this guy's going to be in the big league rotation for them this coming year and having that fastball for when, you know, maybe he doesn't have his best stuff. Like he can give you four or five strong leaning on that fastball 60, 65, 70% of the time when he has to, because of how tough it is. And the command's pretty good. Yeah. Um, the giants either need to spend big in free agency on a lot of pitchers or they need to rely on a Kyle Harrison and a Mason Black. And it feels like they'll probably do the latter um, and they'll spend big in the lineup. They got to kind of spend everywhere. Um, but yeah, man, I, I could see it. Lower half looks Strider-esque. Upper half, the arm swing is Madison Bumgarner-esque. And you combine Spencer Strider and Madison Bumgarner and you get the number seven prospect in the Giants system. <laughs> like, I, I'm not saying talent. I'm just saying visually it does yeah. look like that. Where you've got well, a really it's, strong it's, lower half and you have that slingshot like you're saying from the right. Yeah, point. to your point, it's just it's just a really unique delivery. Um, yeah. And if, again, from that release point, if you don't know if it's a two-seamer or, or more of a carrying fastball, 
that's really tough for hitters. And I, I encourage anyone to just kind of go take a peek at Mason Black's release. It's he gets a lot of really uncomfortable swings and from that release site. And tell me I'm not crazy for saying lower half strider, upper half bum garner. Please I mean, the, the lower half drinking it right now. The lower half is definitely strong and and looks like you know those types of built players. Mad bum is just so far horizontally extended that it's like. I don't even know if I can compare almost anyone the, the to him. Swing like crazy, but, the swing is crazy, man. The swing is bizarre. What Black does is like he still kind of keeps it closer to his body, but keeps it behind him. So it's more of this like whip around that I don't even know who I could compare that to off the dome. I, Hater but, does it, but like it's it doesn't look like Hater because Hater's no, so lanky. It's kind of unique to himself. It's it's unique to himself, and He's and I think that's one. something that's been a big reason why you're trying to be an outlier. Guys just aren't comfortable against his heater. And, and that was very clear all year long. And then he's able to mix up the looks from there. Yeah. Number six. And I think I'll probably catch some flack for this because I know I got some flack for not having Carson Wisenhunt in the top 100. And, you know, we can kind of talk about that, but you know, the, he's really good. He had a really good year. And I think Wisenhunt's a really exciting pitcher that just missed the top 100. But, you know, I think there's some things that he still has to be able to prove here. We know that the changeup, we talk about some of the best individual pitches, this is an insane changeup. Uh, one of the best individual pitches in the system as well. Definitely the best changeup, one of the best changeups in the minor leagues. It's Bugs Bunny just disappears, stops in midair. Fastball's average, slightly above. And the curveball is, is kind of the problem for me here is he just really struggles to, to supinate and, and really struggles to spin for, for a strike and, and spin that well. It's flashed average, but, you know, fastball changeup guy, it's a lefty. Yeah, that definitely helps because you're going to face more righties. But, you know – it's it might be tough for him to get lefties out consistently. I don't want to see him use that changeup <laughs> as much as, as he's been using it recently. And the curveball is just a little bit of a, of a challenge. Thing is, above average command. If he didn't get hurt, he's probably you know in, in the top 100 or in that conversation. But he was fantastic this past season, and you know that changeup is going to give him an opportunity to be a big leaguer in, in some capacity. Scale of one to ten, how worried are you that he is a two pitch guy when he debuts? 10 being he's a two-pitch guy, zero being, oh, he's going to add five more pitches and he'll be you, Darvish. Seven, seven and a half. Okay. Because like, it just just wasn't that good. Like the, it, it flashes some good shape, but it just seems like an easy spit for, for a lot of hitters. It just seems yeah. like an easy leave. And yeah, I know it didn't get hit that hard, but it also just didn't get swung at and it didn't really get much, much chase. Sub-20% chase on that pitch, pitching mostly at the lower levels. Uh, and then into double A, like, I don't know, I'd, I'd expect to see a little bit better than that. That said, he was fantastic up until hitting the IL. But fastball changeup guys seem to always take advantage of lower level competition. I think he's just a high probability back end of the rotation starter. Yeah. But to reach that number three upside, he's got to find a breaking ball and he's got to stay healthy. Yeah, fastball changeup can get you through four on a nightly basis. Um, you know, three or four on the good days, it can get you through six. But that's not what you want from Wisenhunt. Top 100 yeah. pitchers are guys that can give you seven, give you seven yeah. shutout on their best day. And if you are fastball changeup and really nothing else you got going on, you're never going to give a team seven shutout. Yeah. So to take that next step, he certainly needs to supinate, like you say. And he, and he probably could, and we'll see. But I'm definitely concerned about it. Landed the curveball for a strike just 50% of the time. So literally as many balls as strikes. But landed the changeup for a strike 70% of the time. 
opponents hit a buck 20 against it this past year. So that definitely helps. If he had a better fastball, like it's a, it's a average or slightly above average fastball, I'd have less concern about the third pitch. But, you know, when you sit fastball change up, really good hitters will just start to hunt the fastball, try to make you bring you up a little bit. And yeah, sure, you'll still get some whiffs on really good changeups, but you're going to have to be really perfect and, and very fine. You know, if, if you're wasn't hunting, you know, that's going to be harder to do at the upper level. So we'll see. Definitely really like him. One of the best changeups in the, in the minor leagues and, and a changeup that could get big league hitters out now. But health, command a little bit, and then that third pitch are, are all things that we got to kind of monitor going into next year. Yeah. Into the top five. Guy that I think has as much upside as any of the DSL prospects we're going to talk about. And good luck, Jack, with with having much to add here. But I, I, I I'll say right now I've got nothing. <laughs> yeah. Rainer Arias, uh, I think was, if I'm not mistaken, the, the second highest international free agent signing in Giants history, which says a lot. Like that usually tells you they really like a guy. And it's easy to tell why they like him so much put up video game numbers in the DSL. I don't really care about DSL numbers. I'm just looking at swing mechanics at that point and just looking at frame and projectability and all those things. Swing mechanics are real good, really simple, starts pretty upright, coils into his back hip, swings off of it really well and, and is geared for lift, but makes a ton of contact. As you can see in the video, he's just similar to that Marco Luciano type where his power transcends the frame. It's just whippy bat speed. It's explosive. And, I think he's got a, a really good feel to hit. Um, Arias could be a guy that really explodes this coming season. One of the more advanced 17-year-old swings I've seen. Very excited to hopefully get a full complex season, maybe a little low way out of the 17-year-old this coming year. Swing looks great. I'm a fan. Excited to see. Yeah. I Again, I, do, I don't get that excited about DSL prospects usually. Very excited about Arias. I think this could be their next big hype guy and – you just don't see swings this advanced at that level. Advanced approach, too, does not expand much already. Comes with the bloodlines. His dad reached double A. He's grown up around baseball. It's not surprising that he's more advanced than most of his peers. Cool. Number four, another player that, you know, limited looks, but man, when you start to pay attention, start to see some of the video, can understand why the Giants were so excited to snag him uh, in the second round and give him first round money. Walker Martin, shortstop out of Colorado, a very under-scouted area, but he started to emerge as a really popular prospect as he went nuts in the area code games and really impressed out there. Super advanced swing for a tall and lanky you know, left-handed hitter, really controls the body well, really smooth, great feel for the barrel, and explosive as well. It's just It's one of my favorite – swings from that class uh this past year and uh, a lot of teams had a first round grade on him but weren't sure about the the signability i think he got the potential for above average hit above average power he posts plus run times from the left side of the you know the batter's box and it could stick it short ultimately if he moves to third he'll project well there and has the offensive profile to handle it i just love how smooth his swing is how fluid it is and how athletic he is in the box he just seems like he's very adaptable, adjustable, and seems like he's able to kind of get different swings off at different pitches. And it's just so advanced for a player that came out of Colorado uh, and, and is a high school guy. So the gif in the article makes it clear as day that this guy's a really good athlete where he's, you know, you can see tall, long kid, um, but 
the, the weight transfer is, is pretty beautiful and, and he stays on balance. Um, the GIF is also kind of showcasing a, a hit that slapped the other way. And you can see it. How much confidence do you have in his ability to like turn on balls and really drive? Yeah. Them? So I got some, I, I was looking at some, some ABs from the area code games and he, that was my question. Cause like those guys with the longer legs, sometimes they struggle with the rotational power. They struggle to control that lower half. You talk about weight shift. Oftentimes those longer limbed guys, the weight shifts forward too early. You want to, you know, it's going to shift forward eventually, but you want to, you want to do that at the right time. And, and, and in turn, they cut themselves off and they kind of magic wand it. Yeah. Exactly. And then all of a sudden you really cannot turn on pitches. As you pointed out, he holds that lower half really well and, and he controls things really well. I think this is a guy that can post above average power. He flashed, he crushed one like 104, 105 that I saw to the pull side, but then has that feel to hit to go the other way. And that adjustability in the box is, is something that you don't find out of high scores with this kind of build as well. So that's why I see a combination of above average power, above average hit. I think Walker Martin is going to hit the ground running. I think it's going to be very similar to a Colt Emerson type where he debuts and all of a sudden people are like, man, we should have drafted him higher. And I think he's going to be a top 100 prospect by the midseason update. That's my call there. Another guy that I think will probably be a top 100 prospect very soon because the more I, I get to see, the more excited I am about him is number three, two-way player, Bryce Eldridge. Uh, Eldridge, first round pick this past year, 16th overall. The more I watch, the more I like, man, on both sides. Unlike Reggie Crawford, this is a guy that I really think can do both. I really think he can do both. And I'll start with the hitter. He's six foot seven, by the way. Talk about tall guys. Six foot seven. Really advanced moves in the box, though. A guy that, and you need to be efficient as possible as a six, seven teenage hitter. He is simple, does not have many extraneous movements quiet hand load into the backside and just controls the entire body well throughout the swing uses those long levers to create you know that leverage without a lot of effort and it's it's low effort power to all fields goes the other way well and and we've seen some pull side juice there's going to be some whiff with any six seven hitter and and i think that's you know the question is how much can he mitigate that but he's patient and again i think the swing is as efficient and direct as you could want i think there's a potential for plus power potentially plus plus Fringy hit tool with good approach, maybe even an average hit tool. He could be a really fun offensive player. He's he's stacked on his back leg. He's kind of got that hovering leg kick where you know it stays up in the air for a minute. You assume that comes down earlier with two strikes, which gives him an opportunity to kind of you know like be an athlete and be a hitter with two strikes. Um, yeah, like 6'7", 220. This guy probably grows into 6'7", 240. Yeah. That's a DH if I've ever heard one. I know. But he actually moves pretty well. And like I'll see what they do. You know, I, I imagine it makes more sense because I think he's going to pitch. And we'll get to that in a second. I, where he probably DHs uh, when he's not pitching. But, yeah. I mean, I, I look at the swing, man, and it just you don't see 6'7 guys that advance with their, with their overall – feel for their body and, and the feel for the swing overall. So I'm excited to see what a full season looks like from him offensively and, and see him continue to grow into that power. But you could tell it was a focus to just be timed up. You mentioned that the hovering leg kick, he starts it early. He's ready, right at like pitcher release. And that yeah. gives him a lot of, a lot of time to make swing decisions and be able to get to different pitches. So I think this guy's going to grow into some exciting pop on the mound. He's pretty high floor, I think, because it's, 
a ground ball type of pitcher. It's a high release point, heavy bowling ball type of fastball that he fills the zone up with in the mid nineties. And you can probably closer to low nineties up to the mid nineties. I think he's going to grow into mid nineties heat, obviously at six, seven low effort delivery, good slider already curveball That's flashed average and a changeup that's flashed above average. So we have a potentially four pitch average or better mix. Good command that we saw again, another guy that team USA area code, like looked really good in terms of filling up the zone for team USA. I think he's a high probability number four type could be a number three as he grows into more velocity. Yeah. And that's a pretty fun two-way player. I think power hitter from the left side with a, a ground ball pitcher that can get whiffs. That's a fun player, man. And I think this is the best two-way prospect we got right now. You never see two-way guys where on the hill, they are ground ball pitchers. I love it. I love it because it's, it's something that we've never seen before because Otani is a punch-out guy, and he's also a high-walk guy. Like If Eldridge can stay in the zone, and he's at two-and-a-half walks per nine, and he's running a ground ball rate at or slightly above 50%, that gives him the opportunity to work six or seven innings and 90 pitches and then DH the remainder of the time. Yep. Otani will see the pitch count run to 105 pitches, 110 pitches, but – he's more fun because he racks up the case. Like he can have a 15 strikeout performance. That's probably not Bryce Eldridge. Reggie Crawford, on the other hand, is I'm going to use my strong frame, my DH frame, and I'm going to blow a hundred by you. Yeah. That's not as sustainable as what Eldridge does. So if you look at him in a vacuum as a hitter, he looks like he can develop into a power hitting DH or, you know, right fielder. If you look at him in a vacuum as a pitcher, Oh, this guy's, you know, high probability four or five. Yeah. That's awesome because we're now expecting every two way guy to either be a Cy Young candidate like Otani yeah. or be a guy that's going to close and throw 102. Yeah. How about a middle rotation innings eater and a power bat Give from the left that. side? Give By the way, that. already 109 mile per hour max. And we talk about like guys with longer levers, obviously struggling to consistently make contact. 1,000 OPS against heaters. Of course, it's harder when you have those longer levers against breaking balls, but already started to show some signs there. I, it's it's such an efficient swing for his size. Uh, but yeah, I, I think this is a dude that's legitimately got real a real opportunity to do the two-way thing, and that's going to be really fun to follow. Uh, I hope that he gets a chance to do it pretty consistently in the minor leagues this coming season. Number two, guy we've talked plenty about, and we get to two and one here, Kyle Harrison. It's been a mixed bag for him. I came away encouraged by the big league debut of, of the 22-year-old left-hander who finished pretty strong, showed us some flashes, has emerged you know, at, at one point as arguably the best left-handed pitching prospect in, in the game. Now is you know, depends on who you ask. He's still in the conversation. But there was some downtick or just some – some variance in his stuff that was weird. We talked about that in previous episodes where the fastball lost several inches of horizontal, the changeup feel disappeared and he almost stopped throwing it at times in triple a. And then the slider even lost a little bit of break to it and, and wasn't as effective. And then he gets to the big leagues and the stuff started to creep back towards where it was before. So I, I do wonder if you kind of just got into this, fight or flight mode, trying to get to the big leagues. You know, we had Farhan Zaidi saying, yeah, this is a guy that we're expecting to get in the rotation early. Then he struggles. He tries to make some tweaks and it just kind of all got away from him because once he got to the big leagues, yes, there was some inconsistency, but 
all of a sudden over the last 10 starts between AAA and the big leagues starts to land the changeup for a strike at a 70% clip, which was a huge weapon for him in 2022. The fastball starts jumping a little bit more and with a little bit more horizontal. And then the slider gets back to that sweepy slider that it was before. And, you know, we saw it at 12 inches of horizontal at one point. It was down to six, and then it was back up to nine and change at the big league level. So it seemed like the stuff got closer to where it was before. And then we saw an example of what his low-release point, high-carry fastball can do to big league hitters, as you can see in the gif here, just blowing it by J.D. Martinez. I mean, we saw flashes of what can be, and it was nice to see that stuff kind of creep back to where it was in terms of the, the data because that was really weird for stretches, just seeing you know all of his pitches just diminished from a data perspective. Yeah, I don't understand where it went unless he was hurt and he wasn't hurt clearly because he made it through the entirety of the season. So yeah, he had a little hammy thing and and, but nothing, nothing like a major note. Hammy shouldn't alter data that much. You know what I mean? Like Mm. it it shouldn't alter horizontal break of pitches. It should, you know, probably just be like an endurance thing. Although I have no idea. He's talking from a guy that has never thrown a professional inning in his life. Um, So it, it was just kind of bizarre. Like, hey, where'd it go? Why? make changes when you were the top left-handed pitching prospect in baseball coming into this year. Um, yeah, he's, he's probably closer to that now that he had a good big league audition to open up his career, yeah. um, which is huge. I ask you, was there much thought that went into ranking Harrison over Eldridge? Like how much did you think about that? I thought about it. I definitely did. I, I think there's so much more precedent with Harrison, so I get it. Like that's, you're that's with pretty the much that, big that's pretty much it, right? Because I'm thinking about like what teams are taking right now in terms of trade value, and like I think teams are really fascinated and captivated by Eldridge. But yeah, this is a guy that's barely played professional baseball, and I do think that he's going to be a big leaguer. And I, we just gushed about him, but Kyle Harrison is a big leaguer, and and he's already showed that he can mow through some big league lineups when he's on, and you know he's going to be a fixture in their rotation next year and probably for years to come. So that proximity really separated him. And honestly, I think I would have given it more thought had the pitch shape and the pitch data not improved the way it did going into the big leagues and and finishing up the year. I thought that was a really important point where you saw him trend back in the right direction. You saw him find the changeup again. You saw the fastball shape improve. You saw the the slider go from, which averaged 12 inches of horizontal, by the way, in 2022, averaged around six inches of horizontal at times at a lower velocity. And then he got it back to where at least somewhere in between the two, but you look at the, the numbers last year or 2022, excuse me, OPS of 470 against the slider this past season, opponent OPS. I know we had to face big league hitters. So that, that works against it, but OPS of 860 against the pitch. got some good whiff numbers. And, you know, again, a couple home runs really boosts the, the numbers against an individual pitch, but, it, it kind of backs up what we saw in the pitch data. I think it's it's a plus pitch when he when he has it right, and it showed that. But you know that I want to see him closer to twenty twenty two Harrison. Uh, that said, he did make some strides with the command, and, and two and a half walks per nine in his big league debut was was very encouraging because the command had taken a step back in AAA as well. Yeah. Last but not least, guy that we've talked about forever, and I'm looking forward to him graduating and hopefully succeeding next year because that another dude that showed some flashes. But both of these prospects, I think, have sunk a little bit, you know, in terms of their shine. And and there's some concern. Marco Luciano, shortstop, got his big league opportunity last year. The guy's been injured so much you know, throughout his professional career and has not been able to have that linear progression. And you got to cut him some slack there. But at the same time, you know, there's. There's some questions about how much is this guy going to hit? Is the approach going to. Uh, yes, he's 
tone down the chase, but at times it just seems like he doesn't have you know, a concise plan up there. He, he gets up to AAA, doesn't do much, and then they bring him right up to the big leagues and doesn't do much there. I would say the one encouraging thing was I thought he looked like an at least an average big league shortstop. So you feel like you've got your, your shortstop of the future there in terms of, okay, he's not stretched thin there. But the whiff is, is definitely a big concern. The ability to hit breaking balls is a big concern. We saw the power on big display. I mean, 112, 113s, like he hit the ball really, really hard. But I, I just I don't know if he's going to hit enough, man. Like that's that's my concern here. It is worth noting that he just turned 22. And he's got some time, but yeah, hit tool is not really an area where you just see a you know a massive leap in the upper levels at this point. Can I just say like he's a guy that I feel like the prospects industry knows everything and nothing about at the same time. Yeah. Like, what do we know about Marco Luciano in terms of like? what he can do at the big league level. Not much, because we saw him play an injury-marred 57 games in 2022 in high A. And then this year, we got what, a quarter of a season in double A, a third of a season in double A. Yeah. He played 56 games. And then it was, boom, you're here for three weeks, and you're up in Sacramento. And it was 14 games of like sporadic playing time in San Francisco. So I don't know. I frankly don't know much about Marco Luciano because we haven't had an opportunity to see what he looks like really since 2021. Yeah. And he was great in 2021. I just don't know who he is because there's like no continuity here. Yeah. That like 118 mile an hour Homer, 19 mile an hour Homer off of Ryan Rolison was like the shot heard around the world. And yes, he's, yeah. he's extremely talented and has shown more than that. And like you mentioned, the 2021 season was impressive, but you know, I think, there's a lot of shine and hype and, you know, flash and flair. And I think that's helped a lot. And there's a lot of reason for it. Again, you don't find a lot of shortstops that have a 90th percentile of 109 um, and, and also walk as much as he does. And now I've, I've shown the ability to stick it short with a plus plus arm. And those things are all encouraging. And I think the, the ability to stick it short really helps his outlook. But the whiffs against, you know, non fastballs is, is really concerning. And I do wonder if that's something he's going to be able to, rectify it all at the big league level. And I think that's ultimately the, the big question. The other side of it too is for whatever reason, just really struggles against changeups at a buck 40 against changeups between AAA and the big league. And that's always been a thing for him because I think he, he ends up getting a little stiff in and out of the zone and swings over, over these changeups doesn't have that. This is a similar guy. We're talking about Crawford, like kind of one swing in one zone and those changeups, it just seems to swing right over them. And, and it's been a trend for multiple years now. So I want to see a little bit more adjustability there. Swinging strike rate at around 20-something percent at non-fastballs, like that's that's really tough, really tough to succeed. You could be a mistake hitter that that plays shortstop. Yeah, that that could survive. You know, you, you could be a player like that. Paul DeYoung had some nice seasons, but you want more You want more than that from, from Marco Luciano. And, and because he's 22 years old, this was his age 21 season, we're still going to give him, I think, one more year to be better than that. Because if he's a... I think right now he's a 72% zone contact guy. If he's a 76, 77% zone contact guy, I think he can be very successful and be a really impactful big league hitter. But to do that, he's got to improve against breaking balls because fastballs aren't the problem. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I think he's going to get plenty of opportunity at the big league level and an opportunity to continue to get better up there. But there's no doubting the potential. The potential is perennial all-star who can hit 40 bombs. But is he going to hit enough to hit 40 bombs? Probably not. Settles around 30. And is he going to be above the low 200s? 
that's kind of what's going to determine the ceiling here. Cause I think he got an average defender at short, which has really helped maintain his, his prospect shine as a top prospect in the system. I'm going to say something like weird and kind of unorthodox, but this guy, if he didn't debut, was certainly a fall league candidate, right? Because he played yeah. what, like 55, 56 games in 22, and then he played about 75 games, you know, it, taking away his big league time in 2023. He's kind of getting his extended baseball right now. He's a regular in the Dominican Winter League. No, it's um, really good for him. Yeah. yeah, it's great for him because he's going to play probably close to the entirety of the Dominican Winter League season. Uh, he's in Santo Domingo, so I'm actually going to see him in a couple of weeks. So I'll report back with a live look. Um, Love it. But That's yeah, it. like the Dominican Winter League for a young guy, it's really hard to hit because typically, like, there are guys on his team that will just spin you to death. Like Alex Colome, 34 year old Alex Colome is on his team. How about uh, Carlos Martinez? Daniel Lynch, by the way, uh, made a start <laughs> in the Dominican Winter League. Yeah, he'll spin you to death too. So there are a lot of guys that are like, you know, low to mid 30s that see a 22 year old that's like, oh, I'm just going to bender you into you know oblivion he'll have the chance to see a bunch of off speed and breaking stuff and and we'll see how he how he survives in the dominican winter league yep definitely definitely and and i think it's it's good reps for him out there so we'll see but it's it's been really tough to rank these guys in prospect fatigue 101 over here uh with with luciano and, and harrison but i think harrison with a little bit more positive momentum rolling into next year That'll do it for this San Francisco Giants farm system breakdown. Again, the entire write-ups, scouting grades, all that good stuff linked in the episode description. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe. We'll be going through 28 other teams and, of course, making sure to get to your favorite team if it's not the Giants. Prospect interviews on the way as well. Victor Scott, the second of the St. Louis Cardinals, who really was awesome in the Arizona Fall League, will be out after this episode. So keep an eye out for that. Some other fun interviews on the way as well. Jack, any final thoughts before we wrap up? I don't think so. Uh, it's a unique farm system, and I'm very curious to see what a full year of Bryce Eldridge looks like. And I got to see like more than an inning and a third per start from Reggie Crawford. I, I need a little bit of finality on Crawford's you know, pitching and, and hitting in 2024. No doubt. I think this is a farm system that, based on just how some of these players trend next year, could go from you know kind of in the middle of the pack to elite or you know, kind of slip a little bit with the volatility of a lot of these different players. So excited to monitor that. And of course, plenty of Arizona Fall League takeaways coming up this week and another farm system breakdown uh, of the National League West coming up next week as well. As always, thank you for listening. If you could leave a review, we'd appreciate it. We'll look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.